0: Please support the Climate Change and Happiness podcast. See the donate page at climatechangeandhappiness.com. The climate is changing at an accelerating pace.
1: Thousands of residents and tourists have been evacuated from the region.
0: No one country can solve this problem. There's
2: really one key message that emerges from this report. We are out of time.
0: Welcome to Climate Change and Happiness, an international podcast that explores the personal side of climate change, your feelings, what the crisis means to you, and how to cope and thrive. And now, your hosts, Thomas Doherty and Panu Pikala. Well, hello. I am Thomas Doherty, and I am Panu Pikala. And welcome to Climate Change and Happiness, our podcast, the show for people around the world who are thinking and feeling deeply about climate change the personal side of climate change particularly in this podcast we talk about people's emotions and feelings their private life and we are very honored to have a guest today hello i'm kim
2: stafford i'm glad to be with the two of you and everyone
0: yes and kim is a a old and kind of treasured colleague of mine i don't get to see kim very often these days but as, as we were talking earlier before the episode, Kim was one of my uh, allies and support in some of my academic adventures, uh, particularly creating an eco-psychology certificate program for counselors, which, which I did about a decade ago, and that was a really tough sell at the time in academia. It's, things have changed now, and people are scrambling to do this kind of work, but we were a bit ahead of the curve, uh, and so Kim was always there, Kim being... The resident poet and writer in my program at Lewis and Clark. And so we'll talk about Kim's work and his work as a poet, an Oregon poet laureate, and share some memories um,
1: and also some poems Pano do you want to get us started and definitely and warmly welcome Kim it's a great pleasure to, to meet you and in this podcast we've often talked about the arts in various ways sometimes devoting entire episodes for it like music for example, but we haven't really talked much about poetry, so that's a very exciting thing, thing to do. And I was, I was wondering, actually, to get us started, that would there be, Kim, some poem that would especially resonate with you today that you, you'd like to share, share with us? Yeah,
2: thank you, Panu. Um, I want to read a poem called Advice from a Raindrop. And first say that uh, one thing that works for me in writing is to speak in the voice of a creature. You know, to speak in the first person as a tree, as a wave, as a river, is one way to immerse myself in the healing properties of the natural world. Mm. So this is advice from a raindrop. You think you're too small to make a difference? Tell me about it. Think you're helpless at the mercy of forces beyond your control? Been there. Think you're doomed to disappear just one small voice among millions? That's no weakness. Trust me. That's your wild card, your trick, your implement. They won't see you coming until you're there in their faces, shining, festive, expendable eternal sure you're small just one small part of a storm that changes everything that's how you win my friend
0: again and again and again Mm. thanks Kim that was really nice on a rainy morning here in Portland Makes me think differently of the of the raindrops
1: because they are inexorable right now here yes thanks thanks a lot kim for selecting that and that immediately resonates with many things in my mind of course the actual rain but when coming to the topic we often discuss here if this is the emotional side of the ecological crisis and climate crisis one particularly common feeling that people have it, orients around helplessness and sometimes feeling inadequate. So for me, for example, this poem speaks quite directly to that feeling that I've noticed that many people have.
2: Yeah, to not be alone. <laughs> I mean, that's one of the big remedies for helplessness in my life. Uh, you know, even if I feel uh, that my views about how uh, human uh, work could, uh, should be conducted, if I feel alone as a human, I'm accompanied by the rain, by the singing birds, by the trees who didn't get the memo mm-hmm. that they should be discouraged. They just keep reaching for the sky.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah we talk about environmental identity our, our our identity in in relation to nature and you know nature can be part of our identity but even what you're talking about is our our ecological self you know that sense that we are we are nature and so we are really yeah. you know part of the weather part of the part of the raindrops which is really hard in the climate change era because we because it's threatening and people are feeling even more, unfortunately, separate from nature because of this anxiety and eco-anxiety stuff that's going around. Um, Well, maybe I have still a a
2: resident childish sense of the world. Um, I remember in school when a history teacher started into a lecture by saying, you know, for primitive people... uh, The wind was a being, and stones were beings, and rivers were beings. But now we know, you know, and so on. And I thought, wait a minute. No, that's right. (laughs) That's the way it is. Uh, The weather is, uh, you know, my companion. The weather's moods are my moods. There's this... uh, permeable uh, non-boundary between what's inside me and what's all around me.
1: Yeah, that's very profoundly put, 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 I think, and resonates with many things which are growing now in popularity like this post humanistic discourse where people are trying to think more critically about these boundaries and also reminds me of per espen Stocknes, a Norwegian psychologist and author who did a book about psychology of climate change and but then he has a final chapter on air and loving loving the air and forming a very intimate relationship with air and wind, partly drawing from the Sami people and the famous Sami Sami poets. So. Ah, yeah, yeah. We
2: had a class here in Oregon uh, taught by a, a Native woman, Sea uh, Marine Furman, and she told the students, um, you know, when they were saying how sad they were about human treatment of the earth and so on, she said, "Well, no, there's one thing you need to remember." The earth loves you. The earth is glad you're here. The earth is glad you're noticing things. You are being loved. You are being cherished. And suddenly the responsibility for the relationship uh, was not on the shoulders of the misbehaving human. You know, we're children in uh, in this great motherland. Um, feel Feel yourself being cherished.
0: Yes. And that brings up, I think Kim, what I what I know you for is your presence in in you know when we work together and in the workshops that you do. And I think I've always thought your style of poet teaching poetry and um, doing workshops was always very therapeutic. Like it always yeah. seemed it wasn't therapy directly, but it yeah. it was very personal and very therapeutic. I remember, yeah. I mean, some of your insights, a saying that I I often quote of yours. When I'm working with people that I remember from the old days, um, you had, just like your, 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 dad, your dad, William Stafford, who was known for his aphorisms, you, you're known for your aphorisms also. And uh, one that you would say uh, was, um, we are ready for when the barriers fall. Is a statement of yours. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, that's
2: actually from uh, Emily Carr, a Canadian writer, who said, uh, creativity does not consist of overcoming barriers, but of being available when the barriers lift. (laughs) You know, so uh, Hamlet's readiness is all to to be ready, not to be discouraged that all is lost, but to be uh, perennially... Like a child,
0: curious
2: about what's next, what could happen, what could open.
0: So that's great. So that's that's neat because that's what happens with these quotes. Um, you know, I think it's your quote, and of course, it's from Emily Carr. And <laughs> who knows who speak- she
2: got it from, Thomas?
0: Yeah, exactly. But <laughs> I always read that in terms of movements and being a change agent. That sometimes we just need to be ready for when the barriers fall yeah. socially, structurally, yeah. um, to take action. Um, and so we're biding our time, you know, we're staying with our values. Uh, but of course, you're, you're, you you know, there's also the creative side. Yeah. We're ready for when the insight and the, and the, and the, and the, the muse, the insight, the ability to express ourselves happens. Um, but anyway, there's a, there's a holding, there's a social holding and uh, um, that I think people come away with. Maybe we can talk about just this, the importance of expression of any kind and how poetry is helpful.
2: Yeah, you know, as we're talking, um, I'm realizing I, I have an adventure every morning, and that is I start uh, sitting at my desk, it's dark, uh, it's raining outside this morning, and I'm, I'm looking at this blank piece of paper, and I'm realizing there's something wonderful about not knowing You know, not knowing that terrible things are happening, not knowing uh, that far away uh, people are suffering. Um, You know, that's all in the background. But before me is this open space. And when I start putting words down, if it's not too big a claim, it's a kind of miracle. You know, there was nothing there. And now there's something. It's like a little plant starting to grow. Something is growing before my eyes. And so to me, that is my daily therapeutic opportunity to go from uh, worry to nothing to something.
1: Mm-hmm. How, has this always been with you? Did you start doing this already as a child or a young person? or How, how did you come to this? I
2: now? think, uh, Panu, it really
1: started by
2: going into the woods <laughs> You know, when I was a little kid, there was a woods, there was a canyon, there was a bunch of thickets, a creek, a tree you could climb, uh, a hollow log you could wriggle through, and that sense of, uh, you know, what's there? What what, what am I going to find today? And I would come home, and my grandmother would say, Kimmy, what did you find today? Mm-hmm. You know, I think that that's really the thing to say to a child. What, what are you thinking? What did you see? Uh, and that my grandmother's curiosity really was the um, the foundation uh, of
1: of what I bring to the page.
2: What have I found? You know, what am I finding?
1: Yeah, thanks. Thanks for sh- sharing that. And I very much personally resonate with this sense of adventure as something very. Key, key to life and sort of keeping the child in us uh, alive, strongly reminded of Rachel Carson, who I yeah. have very high appreciation for, and many people know her for The Silent Spring, but there's a the wonderful trilogy of books about the sea, which are full with both wonder and scientific uh, analysis. And then there's a the small book about cultivating a sense of wonder also with children. And, and mm-hmm. think
2: uh, Panu, uh, she was dying of cancer. Mm-hmm. And she wrote this beautiful book for children, A Sense of Wonder. Uh, I think that's the elixir. I don't know if it will save us, but will save us today. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it will save our mm. readiness to try, to keep trying, to keep reaching, uh, to keep being curious. A sense of wonder.
0: So that speaks to this idea. We, we often talk about what our what people's eco-emotions are. Um, and so I think, Kim, you're... you're Talking about that, um, what else comes up for you when you when you think about your eco feelings or eco emotions? Yeah,
2: well, um, you know the every morning the birds. Uh, <laughs> I wrote this poem recently that the one bird that uh, you know cries out first at four in the morning, three in the morning, um, and start singing, and pretty soon dawn comes, and I imagine that little bird saying, look what I made happen uh-huh. again. <laughs> I brought the light. Uh, I think the to, to make something, to put something forth, to reach out to a friend, to write a letter, to have a conversation, to take a walk with someone, to learn something new, uh, you know, that little uh, cry of the Spirit Locally may not seem much, but it's what's been keeping the Earth going for billions of years. What's that next thing? You know, what what little thing can I do? That's part of something much bigger, but it's not nothing.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Uh, w- would you happen to have that poem at hand, or some other other poem that you would like to share in relation to these things? Uh yeah. Well, I. I <laughs> I have a funny little poem
2: here called uh, foolish young flowering plum. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a certain time in the early, very early spring when the the wild plum trees are the first to uh you know, get ahead of the game and flaunt their color. So I was walking along, it was just starting to get dark, uh, get light in the morning, late winter really. Foolish young flowering plum. It's winter. Dark days, still too cold for bird or blossom, dull sky, and all our hearts in shadow. But there, at a ragged cleft darkened by cedars of gloom, a flash of light cries out. The incandescent wisp of wild plum, far too early to be so happy, so naive, a child refusing to obey the rules of grief
0: mm. like one of my my sayings is that our feelings are wild so we have to yeah. just you know observe them just like we would be out in nature and yeah. if you if you make a lot of noise you <laughs> <to> blunder around <laughs> you're gonna scare everything away and so but there's that wildness of yeah. of uh, even when we're down or or feeling depressed like we'll see something we'll yeah. Well, something will happen, and it's that that attentiveness to the flux of emotions that's really helpful. Yeah, I have a um, I
2: have a spectacular example of this. Um, you know, my brother took his life when he was forty, and um, our family went into the darkest time. And I was asking my father about this. He was far away when it happened. He had to fly home. And he was telling me about it. He said, well, I couldn't sleep, of course, and I, I got up early, and I got to the airport, and, and we were flying west. And as we came down into Denver, I looked up in the sky, and there's a, there's a kind of a buckskin light over Colorado. I, I've seen it before. And I said, Daddy, that's the greatest gift you've given me, that no matter how dark things are, you see something, and it lifts you. You see something new, and it lifts you. And I think that's uh, a really our opportunity with the natural world to be lifted by things we haven't ruined yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, thanks. Thanks for sharing that. And sorry to hear about that. That loss, loss, and. We briefly talked with Thomas in one of the episodes about the work of Bill Plotkin, who is one of these eco psychology people who uh, tries to serve the world by organizing people chances to go into more natural surroundings and try to be open and receptive to whatever grabs one's, one's yeah. att- attention. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, Thomas, mm-hmm. when we were uh, at the grad school together, uh, you know, the way I teach writing is. I tell my students, this is your hippy-dippy, fuzzy-wuzzy, touchy-feely class, you know, where we're trying to listen to our hearts and write what we feel and so on. And uh, one of my very serious colleagues at the graduate school, uh, you know, with a dismissive wave of her hand said, uh, you know, the way you teach writing, Kim, that's just therapy. Mm -hmm. And I didn't say it, but through my mind went the sentence, my brother died because he didn't get that. Don't mm-hmm. say just therapy to me. Happiness mm-hmm. is uh, very, very practical. <laughs> A sense mm-hmm. of well-being is profoundly uh, practical. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so that speaks to our kind of inner policing of ourselves, which is something to be aware of, you know, and particularly during this crisis of politics and climate. You know, we we, we, we can get kind of harsh um, with others, but then then with ourselves to even therapeutic people surprisingly um i remember one of my colleagues dismissing me because i was teaching a wilderness therapy class where we were going going out camping in nature and taking the counselors out on river rafting trips to test themselves and he just you're, they're just going river rafting you know as if that as if that was whereas you know, we are irrelevant. seriously sitting
2: in a classroom yeah, using yes. big
0: words yes exactly <laughs> that, as if that was irrelevant to life and it really strikes what's the danger of the, the you know the ivory tower um yeah. uh and so and then we have the green tower which is kind of the purity, I'm more eco, I have to be very eco, and all this sort of stuff, yeah. and so luckily, um, and I know that infiltrates writing and literature just as well, I know, but I, you seem to be able to kind of avoid that, that kind of piousness. Well, you
2: know, they say it with poetry, uh, if you do it long enough, you can work your way into the high two
1: figures. Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, what, what, what about Kim? Things written by other people. We touched on on Rachel Carson, but uh, speaking of this general topic of the ecological issues, climate issues, are there some writers whose yeah. poems or texts have more influence? I think uh, good, you
2: know? one of the key people for me is Robert McFarlane, uh in the UK. Uh, he has this one sentence that I think is. Absolutely foundational to what we're living now. A landscape that has not been evocatively described becomes easier to destroy. A landscape that has not been evocatively described becomes easier to destroy. So the work of the writer uh, in the era of climate change is, is, is to see things, to help people see things, to help people hear uh, the, the amazing uh, voices of the earth. And so that we can't just say, well, let's pave it. <laughs> let's develop it. You know, let's, uh, let's make it more human. <laughs> let's uh-huh. string some wires, you know. No, it's beautiful. That place is beautiful. Uh, let's, let's, uh, g- let's gain our power from apprehending the beauty of what's around us. So again, beauty is very practical. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Honey, what are you thinking about from the Finnish from the Finnish side? I know there's a strong tradition of this. We were joking about Kim's early youthful travels in Scandinavia and that the sense of the culture there and the acceptance and the freedom to roam and all kinds of things that that are part of that culture. But what what's coming up from you? Uh, Finnish side
1: in terms of literature or some of your work over there? Mm. Yeah, just during the last 20 years I've been reading a trilogy written in the 1950s and 60s by this Finnish uh, natural scientist and author called Reino Kalliola. He was one of the first state persons for environmental protection in his time but he was also a humanist and a lover of arts so he was doing exactly the thing that Kim mentioned here so he was doing it's a sort of natural science uh, about Finland but he was doing it so eloquently and also drawing from classic Finnish literature and they did prints of his books with uh, printed paintings by the Finnish artists also yeah. so it was really a of both the natural science and the lyrical de- depiction, and that was very foundational for the Finnish environmentalism. So that very strongly resonates with me. When listening well, Panu, I'm
2: going to uh, reveal my ignorance, but I can't remember the name of the uh, the person who went all over what is now Finland to create the Kalevala, mm. and you know heard many local stories in many places and put them into one big song uh, that from my reading, really formed the Finnish nation. I feel like maybe our work now is to uh, gather songs in a kind of overwhelming wave to uh, wake up uh, the human project, you know, a sense that we're all in this together and we can all make a difference. And let's uh, sing our kinship into a new way to do things.
1: Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Mm that's very beautifully very beautifully put and Kalevala, the national epic collection of the fenno very old rhythmic poems elias lönnrot is probably the, uh, the man that you yeah. are after here and it's a tricky name for everybody <laughs> around, outside outside finland you know, lönnrot so uh, they were still alive some of these old old poem singers uh and and so that's very foundational for us Finns and did have an influence on J.R.R. Tolkien's yeah. mythology for mm-hmm. for example, and also for the music of Sibelius, so it's been contributing yeah. in different art forms also outside Finland, and it has a special thing around nature of, of, of course going around, and uh, poetry is still going strong in Finland. Of course, the number of sales are not as high yeah. as poets would like yeah. them to be, or lovers of po- poetry, and many Finnish po- poets have been moving on to describe various dimensions of the ecological crisis also, sometimes trying to explore the beauty of these strange combinations of built environment and natural en- environments. Uh, yeah. uh, and that's very difficult stuff to translate into English because of the peculiarity of the Finnish uh, fi- Finnish la- language. But some sort of s- collective singing or poem um, making is going on around here, but uh, mm-hmm. that's a very interesting thought about uh, comparing Kalevala to the yeah. demands. Yeah. Wow.
2: Well, I, I have a little story for you. I was at a Finnish community, immigrant community in the northwest here, uh, Nacelle, and the, the self-appointed mayor was telling jokes in Finnish, and hundreds of people were cracking up, so I know I'm, I'm on to something here. And then he translated one of the stories. He said, you know, I was um, I was talking to my neighbor, Arnie, and I said, Arnie, how come you're so talented? You're a musician, you're a fisherman, you're a woodworker, you do some writing, uh, how do you do all those things? And Arnie said, well, you know, I'm Finnish, Uh, A Finn does what he wants to do. Other people just do what they know how to do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I Mm -hmm. think there's a secret there. We each need to do what we want to do and not let people tell us, uh, no, you're not good enough to do that. We just need to say, I'm going to save the earth personally, but not alone. And Mm -hmm. here we go. And we'll do what we can.
0: Yeah. That's a good segue, uh, Kim. I wanted to I'm I'm channeling the listeners who are out there and they're I think feeling uplifted. The the, the energy in these kind of conversations when we bring in arts and poetry is really uplifting because it is it's not denying the world, but it's 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 just looking at the world from a certain angle of sight, you know, that it reveals all this beauty and surprise. But what I know, Kim, you do a lot of teaching of writing to people, young people for for example. Uh, people that don't see themselves as literary. Literary. Yeah. So for the listener, for the listener that's listening and saying, "Okay, this is all well and good, but I've never written a poem, and I don't, you know, I don't, I don't have all this knowledge in these stories." Um, how, what's a, what's a, you know, what are some of your kind of like takeaway tools and advice things for small, you know, writing practices? Because I know that's a part of your teaching. Sure.
2: Yeah. Well, I. I learned a great secret from my predecessor, uh, who was uh, the poet laureate in Oregon before me, Elizabeth Woody, who's a Wasco, Navajo native woman. And she said at one point, uh, you know, the more I do poetry, the less it's about what the poem is, and more about who the poem serves. And that became my mission as Poet Laureate and as Poet and as Citizen, who the poem serves. So I started inviting people, and maybe I can invite our listeners to do some optional homework. Think of someone in your life who needs a poem, and then write one for that person. Write a poem for someone and i realized i that's sort of what i do you know i go to a place i write a poem for the place not about the place for the place i'm in a community uh, you know i went to visit some inmates in prison i wrote a poem for them uh, i worked with some immigrants i wrote a poem for them and here here's a, an example of a little poem written by a child i was in a fourth grade classroom and i i said to the students think of someone in your life who needs a poem and make one for them. And this little guy turned in a poem, it goes like this, it's called Max, which is the name of his friend. There are 200 countries, there are 50 states, there are seven oceans to cross, There are seven continents, there are billions of stars, and I met you. <laughs> it's so little, it's so beautiful, it's so friendly uh you know so it's not about skill it's about curiosity and uh courage to say what's in your heart
0: yes yeah let's let that hang in the air for a moment here um and for the listeners as well you know um it's a long slog you know and um we do we do need these 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 kind of yeah. slivers of light um it reminds me of the saying that was in the movie The Postman some years ago. Poems don't belong to people who wrote them; they belong to people who need them. Yes, something along those mm-hmm. something along those lines. So I know we all think about what what do we need. We're toward the end of our time. Um, Kim, would you like to gift gift the listeners with another poem today? Yeah, this is sort of my theme song. Uh, <laughs> Uh,
2: One way to write a poem is to go to RhymeZone.com and uh, just take a salt shaker and sprinkle rhymes through a poem and see what happens. Uh So this is called I Am the Seed. I'm circling back to, you know, I am speaking in the voice of the raindrop. I am speaking in the voice of the seed. I am the seed. Every chance I get, any place I fit in a cleft of grit in ravine or pit. My ancient wit, my husk, I split I am the seed. I fell to the ground without a sound, by rainfall drowned, by sunlight found, by wonder crowned, by luck profound. I am the seed. After fiery thief, after bout of grief, though life is brief, I sprout relief with tiny leaf beyond belief. I am the seed. I am the seed, small as a bead. Tell me your need, your hunger I'll feed. Any trouble you're in, I will begin, for I am the seed. Up I rise to seek the prize from all that dies by bold surprise before your eyes, small and wise. I am the seed. Mm.
0: Very nice. Mm, thank you. Thank you Very for nice. sharing. sharing Pane, what are you sitting with here? Or Kim, what are you sitting with here as we, as we wrap up here in this nice dialogue?
2: I'm sitting here, I get to be with two people far away. Uh, and in just a few moments, we got into deep important things and that's a perennial opportunity for human beings no matter what is against us uh, around us ahead of us we can sit down together and uh, share a cup of tea and our thoughts and we will be stronger
0: uh, uh yeah i'm spontaneously making up a new rule for myself about public speaking is, is get a poem in there as early as possible <laughs> it's my new rule that i'm gonna use because yeah and the secret you, way to do it is don't yeah. say
2: here's a poem just start saying it
0: mm, yes yeah because it creates this uh this container you know that's different uh immediately um so anyway, well i, I think poetry away. is human bird song <laughs> yeah mm. that's great uh That's another one I'm going to put in my list there, Kim.
1: Uh, uh, What are you thinking about, Panu? Well, I'm thinking about uh, exactly the same thing that, that Kim described here, that it's been a very good moment of spending time with quite deep issues in life. With both shades of sadness and lots of shades of joy, joy and wonder. So I'm very grateful for this opp- opportunity, and I hope that you li- li- listeners uh, can continue having these kinds of mo- moments. But warm, warm thanks, Kim, for for joy- joining us. It's been truly a pleasure. Thank you both mm-hmm. so much. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, Kim, what are you you're,
0: you're starting at your day here with? What does your day hold for you today?
2: oh i'm doing an old man thing i'm organizing my archive i've been a hoarder Uh, of paper there are thousands uh, of pages i'm trying to organize (laughs) wow clean up my house ship it all off to the library so Mm -hmm. when i'm gone people can go in and uh, like going into a forest you know find Mm -hmm. find strange and magical things Mm -hmm.
0: yeah so you're harvesting right that's the way i think about that you're you're, you you've got the beauty of harvesting. You don't have to, you know. You're not being the seed at this particular moment. You're being the you're being the harvest. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Although I start the day with writing a poem yeah. and then spend the rest of the day organizing all the poems I've written. Mm,
0: that's great. I think we can all stand to harvest um, things. I know the book uh, project I'm working on. I'm trying to think of it as a harvest of of insights and things. Um, and that's something I'll be working on today as well as um, seeing some therapy clients and also doing my training with uh, my, my, my training with uh, therapists who are trying to help in the climate crisis. So I'll be doing that kind of stuff
1: today. Hanu, um, um, how's your evening for you? Well, you know, after daylight savings time, now the evenings are ev- even darker, <laughs> and mornings um, have have more more light. Light, but the same as usual. The boys are soon soon gonna come come home, so there's some family 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 time to be mm-hmm. be had. Yeah, so. well, it is a dark time, uh, just in the seasons here
0: uh, in the north in the northern hemisphere, anyway. Um, and so this has been a nice kind of bright. Um, candlelight or sunlight, whatever image you want to use of, of, a, of a discussion for us at this time of the year. Um, so I wish you all well. And we're going to put a bunch of links in to our show notes of poems and all the little beautiful insights that came up today. And to the listeners and you both be well and take care. Thank you. Take care. The Climate Change and Happiness podcast is a self-funded volunteer effort. Please support us so we can keep bringing you messages of coping and thriving. See the donate page at climatechangeandhappiness.com.